0: Good morning. This morning we're reading from the first book of Samuel, and at chapter 30 we'll read six verses. Would you like to stand please in honor of God's word? David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured: Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Jezreel. Excuse me, <clears throat> the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The word of the Lord. Thank you.
1: Tragedy. Um. We see it from time to time on the television. Maybe a man stands beside a pile of rubble that was once his home but has now been burned to the ground. He's in tears. Maybe it's the result of a tornado. and He has no idea where his family is or even if they're still alive. Maybe it's the result of floods like we've seen recently in Kentucky. And here he stands, feeling like he has nowhere to turn for help of any kind. And we view him with pity and sympathy, but we're glad we aren't in his shoes. Where's this scene? Well, it could be in a war-torn place on our planet, or or a tornado-ravaged community somewhere in Tornado Alley. But no, we're in Ziklag, a little Philistine town some 40 miles southwest of Jerusalem. It's just over 3,000 years ago, about 1015 B.C. The man is David, who will later be Israel's king. But at this point, he is in his late 20s, A refugee and considered an outlaw and a failed leader who seems doomed, at least at this point. So what's happened? Well, here's the story. David lived among the Philistines to escape Saul and aligned himself with Achish, the local Philistine ruler. He'd been given the town of Ziklag for his men and their families. And he had mustered his men to join the Philistines in battle against Israel. But the other Philistine leaders did not trust him. And so they sent him back home to Ziklag. Meanwhile, while they're away, the Amalekites have come. And they burned Ziklag to the ground. And they've carried off the men's families. By the grace of God, they carried them off. It says not one of them was killed. That, that did not happen. The normal thing would have been to kill everybody, but they did not. You know, when people are suffering and from an unexpected hurt, they want to relieve their feelings by finding a scapegoat, someone to blame. And such was the case in this instance. It was all David's fault. His men got ugly and turned on him. Possibly they were blaming him for being so preoccupied with trying to please Akish that he had marched every able-bodied man to the muster, leaving no one at home to guard the fort and the families they left behind. Picture the Old West where outlaws and renegades roamed and women and children never traveled unless they were in the company of someone with a gun. It was that sort of world that David's oversight it was in that sort of world that David's oversight was pretty obvious. So in verse six we read, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him, each one bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Perhaps David was thinking of this very incident when he composed the the lines of Psalm eleven, and let me read the first few verses. It says this, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that last verse Asked a question that may have been going through David's mind at this point as he stood tearful by the ruins of his house. I think it's pretty obvious that the foundations of his life at this moment seem to be crumbling. His distress was compounded by several things. Number one, there was personal loss. His own home and two wives were gone. And then there was the recognition that through lack of proper planning, he had failed his men and their families. Nothing is harder on a good leader than knowing that you have let down those who trusted in you. And then he felt totally alone. Not only Saul and the Philistines, but now his own men had turned against him. And the situation appeared hopeless. The Amalekites had come on camels, and David and his men were on foot. They were already exhausted from their three-day, 40-mile march home, and they were grieving. They had little hope of catching the raiders, even if they had known where they had gone. And then there might have been a sense of God's judgment. First Samuel chapter twenty-seven, verses eight through twelve. Now David and his men went up and raided the the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur in Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or a woman alive, but took sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothes. Then he returned to Achish. And when Achish asked, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of Jeremiel, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us. This is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Achish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. He was lying to Achish and telling them that he was attacking Israel. So he played this game with Achish. Maybe to curry his favor, to win approval, he had plundered villages and massacred the inhabitants, including the Amalekites. He had given the plunder to Achish and claimed the raids were made against Israelite territory. And when he saw what the Amalekites had done to Ziklag, his conscience no doubt told him this sort of poetic justice was the vengeance that he himself had provoked. David at this point was in a state of distress that might well have destroyed him. The shock of the disaster, the The feelings of abandonment and the sense of just punishment were all piled up at this point. Thus, David's surrender to tears and grief was a natural reaction to what had happened. Most of us would probably done the same thing. But David didn't stop here. Overcoming the numbness of that grief or the, that, that grief could generate, David shows a spiritual reaction of faith. Verse 6, But David found strength in the Lord his God. How did he do that? Well, most of us, most the, probably the most common response would be, well, David prayed. And that's true. In due time he did pray, but I don't think that came first. In moments of intense pain and despair, we often cannot frame a rational prayer in our mind. It just, we can't put the words together. Like a person sliding down a sandy slope headed towards a cliff. We have to regain our footing on the hillside or we are lost. The secret of recovering your spiritual footing in a situation like this is to think. To remember. And we get a clue from this in the Psalms. Psalm 77, verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord, yes. I will remember your miracles of long ago. Psalm 105, verse 5. Remember the wonders He has done, His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. Psalm 143. Verse 5, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. And I think that is where David began. He thought. He did not wait until he felt better, but er, but argued against all the emotions that told him everything was lost. He remembered what he knew of God. And undoubtedly, all the times he had been delivered from Saul's hand, as well as his victories over the lion, the bear, and Goliath. And so he found strength in the Lord. He calmed his soul and prepared himself to pray. And so let me share with you this morning five thoughts that may have gone through David's mind as he stood amongst the lonely ruins of Ziklag. And I realize that this is conjecture, but I believe the Psalms, many of them which were written by David, give us insight into his heart and his thoughts and lend support to the way David might have approached the situation that he was in on that day or others like it. So, at Ziklag, David remembered, My God reigns. My God reigns. He thought of God's sovereign power. He reminded himself that God is in total control of all that happens on earth, and that having brought him into this situation, he would surely bring him out. And the Psalms are strong on God's sovereignty and power. Psalm 135, verse 6, The Lord does whatever pleases Him. And then it's several times in the Psalms. In Psalm 93, 96, 97, 99, and 146, David declares the Lord reigns. And then Psalm 11, verse 4, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on Him. His heavenly throne. In fact, we, they made a song out of that one. So the key to peace and stability in the face of adversity is to know that God is on the throne. <clears throat> his eye is on us, and His hand is over us at all times. Nothing comes our way that He has not allowed. It's not like, whoops, that got by me. That doesn't happen with God. In the very deepest sense, everything is under his control. David remembered that my God reigns. And then he remembered that my God forgives. David thought of God's pardoning mercy. In fact, he wrote in Psalm 130, verse 4, But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Psalm 32, verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Surely, David dwelt on the truth that in God's mercy, he forgives those who repent, and no sin is too great to be forgiven. Most of us can imagine, because we've experienced it ourselves, the burden of guilt that was lifted and the release David felt as he experienced God's forgiveness in that moment. Aren't you glad for God's forgiveness? You know, I think of 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He was writing to believers there. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness and for the blood of Jesus. At Ziklag, God, at Ziklag David remembered, My God cares. I think... The view of some anyway is that God's out here somewhere and, and and life goes on and he kind of observes it, but that's about all. Oh, that's too bad. Well, that happened, that's too bad. David thought too of God's covenant of protection. The Lord is my shepherd, he said. Well, David would certainly have understood what shepherding was all about, wouldn't he? He understood that a shepherd's job is to look after the sheep, keeping them fed and safe at all times, even in ruined Ziklag. God was with him to love and care for him. Scripture confirms what the shepherd psalm proclaims, that, it, that is the care of God for his people. That's what this 23rd Psalm is all about. And in Psalm 34:15, in verses 17 through 19, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He writes again in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And Paul says in the New Testament in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. God's direction of all that happens to believers to promote their good is a fact, even when it doesn't look or feel like it. David knew that he was able to write, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. And then at Ziklag, David remembered, My God is consistent. Having proved he loved me in the past, he will do so again. David remembers, remembered his previous experiences of God's goodness and deliverance and reasoned that his consistent God would not fail him now. He had once expressed this confidence to Saul just prior to his encounter with Goliath. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 37 he said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine And so David now told himself that God who had brought deliverance in the past would surely do it again In 1 Samuel 7, chapter 12, it speaks of a stone that was raised up by Samuel after God gave Israel a victory over the Philistines. He called that stone Ebenezer, which means stone of help. It was to be a reminder of God's intervention and deliverance. And I think that it's important for every Christian to mark those places along their journey, where God has done something powerful or miraculous so that those things, as they raise up those stones of remembrance, those things can be brought to mind whenever reassurance of God's love is needed. I've said this before. I think in that passage in Philippians where, where we're told not to worry about anything but pray about everything with thanksgiving, I think Paul threw that word "thanksgiving" in there. If we take time to thank God for who He is and what He's done, it's a great reminder of how faithful God has been in the past, and it gives us confidence to ask for His help in the situation we find ourselves in now. So, again, I think it's important for us to mark those places on our journey, so that we, when we, when we come to that next place in our lives where we're up against that thing that may seem impossible for us, we can look back at those places in our lives where we've marked the faithfulness and love of God. We should be able to sing with the writer of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, Here I raise my Ebenezer, Hither by Thy help I've come. And I hope by Thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. God's faithfulness through our lives. In fact, that's the next thing that David remembered. My God is faithful. He keeps His Word. David thought of God's promises, such as found in Psalm 91, verses 14 and 15. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Isn't it nice to have that confidence? David found strength as he trusted the faithfulness of his promise-keeping God. In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan pictures despair as a giant, imprisoning believers in Doubting Castle. But the Christian gets out by using a key called promise. And that really is the key. Knowing that God's promises to us in the Scripture will be fulfilled. It frees us from doubt and gives us strength to face whatever we're facing now and whatever may crop up in the future. So that's what David did. Did he go to prayer? Yes, I'm certain he did. In fact, the Scripture tells us that he does. But before he did, there's those, there were those essential reminders of who God is who God had been, how God had proven Himself faithful and consistent in his life. So God gave him strength at Ziklag by stirring in him thoughts through which he found strength. David expresses gratitude for this kind of experience when he says in Psalm 18, verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. But the story does not end here. If you read on, you find that after David found strength, he had the priest bring the ephod and he went before the Lord. He prayed. And once David had inquired of God, he pursued the Amalekites and the entire situation was restored in a miraculous way just as God had promised. David and his men recovered All the wives, children, and plunder, everything, everything, nothing was lost. Now, we know that God does not always resolve the crises in our lives in such such a dramatic way. But He does give strength to cope to those who will learn to think and remember the way that David did. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you. For these things today that we have gone through this list of things that David remembered that are so much a part of your character. These these are this is who you are. This is who you are. You're faithful. You're strong. You reign. Yeah. yeah. Things don't happen because You've lost control. You forgive us. Oh God, how grateful we are for that. You care about us. In fact, in the New Testament it says, we can cast all our care on You because, Lord God, You care for us. We know You're consistent. We know You're faithful. And we know, Lord God, that all things really can work together for good for those who love You and are called according to Your purpose. Maybe not in the way that things worked out in this story, and maybe not in the timing that we think it should, but in the picture, the picture of eternity. We know, Lord God, that You can use anything that happens in our lives for good. And so we thank You for that. That's who You are. That's what You can do in Your sovereignty. And power. And so, as we face the crises in our own lives, when they come, maybe we've done so in the past, may we, like David, remember, Lord God, your attributes. And when we do, we will be strengthened. And then we can come to you in prayer and seek your wisdom and guidance for how to move on. And we thank you that you will be faithful in that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.